if I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Hurling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Hurling. Well, today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. Both, both of hard play. I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking pace. Welcome to episode four of the Hurling Podcast. Wexford beat Carlo on Sunday on a scoreline of 229 to 111, a result that leaves Wexford in second place in the group and looking forward to a league quarter final, while Carlo will face Westmead in a league relegation playoff next Sunday. Not quite the exciting match of re- recent weeks, Ben. Little one sided affair, but it wasn't bad to get give different players a run. Uh, Lee Mobile Govern as a sweeper was the interesting one. We we do need a contingency plan if Kevin Foley gets injured. I would have expected Sean Murphy to slide in there, but it's good to see a different player getting a goal, and I I think he did quite well. Yeah, he did. Uh, he's just he's so tireless. The amount of running he gets through, I'd say the GPS trackers go crazy with himself and uh, and D O'Keefe, whatever they're feeding him down in the ends. Uh, but it shows that there's so many of these Wexford players can play in so many different roles and positions. I mean, even one of the newer guys coming in, Connell Flood, playing wing back. I think he can also play midfield. He can play in the forwards, but he had a very good game at wing back. Yeah, he actually ended up in the hurling team of the week, so he should be quite happy with that league debut. I think. Our love affair with Paul Morris will continue after he uh, he was sprung from the bench about 10 minutes into the second half and came off the field with eight points, I think, four frees and four from play. Yeah, it was really like he just came on and just he couldn't stop scoring as soon as he came on. His first touch, controlled the ball, turned, put it over the bar, then he got two frees, then I think he touched the ball about four times and had four points. Five minutes after coming on, not a bad way to introduce yourself to a game. Oh, yeah, and he was very close. Then he got another ball, which he tried to hand to someone to run through and then go and just got cut out. But overall, he'd have to be happy with his with his twenty minutes, you know, or twenty five minutes. Yeah. Well, after the game, myself and Ben chatted to former Wexford manager and current Carlo Harling manager Colin Bonner. Uh, it was very good of Colm to speak to us in Kilcannon Garden Centre and in Scorthy. Colm has two All-Irelands himself with Tipperary as a player, along with All-Ireland titles at minor and under-21 grades and a Fitzgibbon title. Here's our chat with Colm. We're here in Kilcannon Garden Centre. We're only an hour removed from Wexford's victory over Carlow in the last round of the league. We're here with Carlow manager Colin Bonner. How are you, Colin? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, not too happy after today's result, but yeah, look, it's, uh, it is what it is. New league structure, obviously, with a much tougher league. Your players are happy to be in with the, the bigger teams, would say? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't realise, you know, when we got together, we had a very ambitious bunch of players maybe three years ago, and their ambition was to push 
into new levels if they could. They were probably ranked number 17, I think, when I, when I came in and, and their ambition was to get into the top 10 and I was kind of saying, mm, this is fairly ambitious stuff and what do we have to do and who's above us? But they had been relegated to the Christie ring and I suppose they know themselves that performances wasn't where it should have been. And so it was easy to gather, gather them together because they were ambitious and uh, I was saying, okay, being in the top 10 would have made, meant replacing a traditional county, possibly like Offaly. And I was saying the J would never open up the doors to allow a team like Carlo or Antrim at the time or Kerry or whatever just to walk into the championship. But the way things have unfolded over the last two years, it's been incredible to think that from, you know, be down Division 2A and uh, losing that the first year, then we knew the importance of winning the following year would bring us up to a very good league structure in terms of one B to the different structure where you'd have your very top six teams in Division One and I know there was talks about that was too competitive and then you'd have your Division One B and you'd have maybe two top teams in it and another four teams competing very strongly to try and, you know, get a crack at those two top teams but also knowing they could beat each other. So that was I thought that was as far as it would go in terms of where we could go with Carol Hurland, but they changed the league structure again that uh, we were fighting for our lives in that we had some very good results. Uh, we were very competitive against Dublin. We drew with Galway and, you know, that was such an amazing day for the Carroll players in uh, Cullen Park. It was to see Joe Cannon there for nearly an hour after signing, hur- signing hurlies for young fellas that we never even knew there was in Carlow and, uh, you know, thousands watching the game instead of maybe a couple of hundred. So small things like that make big big difference and the boys felt they were making a difference for Carroll Hurling and that, uh, you know, that, they were leaving a legacy and what we've seen in this league is that had it been a step too far for us um, yeah we've taken some bad trimmings in the league this year but ask any of the players uh, they would I think uh, they'd rather be in the position the fact that we've been there this year I think we learn from it and I think as a management team whether we're there next year or someone else is coming in that the players themselves realise that they have to take more ownership of the time that they're not an inter-county player uh, for which for the likes of Carroll where we had been would be packed probably six months of the year so we'd have to look at that seriously in terms of how they train and how they get themselves uh, conditionally uh, right for the games because we saw today with Wexford like the power and the pace you know I've seen those players like I would have been involved with Wexford I remember last year bringing in the likes of Matthew Hanlon and you know these players and he was a big man but Harry Kyo, but the, the strength and the power and the physique of them when you see them now is just incredible and that's you know whereas you wouldn't see that development in, possibly in a Carlo player because they're not in the same league structure league structure that these lads have been over the last five or six years they did you know they didn't really have to develop the game to the level that if we were to stay in this league and you know that's what this game next Sunday next Sunday is at Westmead uh, the winner of that game will keep them at the highest level in Division 1 and, you know, if that's whatever team happens, we have to do an awful lot more to be able to compete with the teams because the gap at the moment is there. So you're saying that you prefer this year's league structure where it's more difficult, like, I I don't know, myself, I thought, like, last year, the 1A and 1B, Mm. I thought for for most teams it kind of worked out. We saw All-Ireland champions coming out of 1B for two years in a row in Limerick and Galway. And the league winners coming out of yeah. 1B. But it was also given the likes of Cairo. Mm. Like, they're getting a mix of games against the top teams, the All-Ireland champions, and against more beatable teams as well. Um, whereas, I mean, I know you guys had Leash last week. Now, the pitch on the day was a bit of a disaster. But Westmead on the other side, they, 
they've had a very very tough league. They've had an extremely tough league, and uh, you would look at it when the draw was made for who was on what side that Westmead had or you know had to cut out from to try and get any any performances. It was a tough ask for you know for uh, ourselves and Westmead. Um, Leash obviously had stayed there when they <clears throat> when we drew them in in Cullen Park. They didn't have to play the relegation, but look, yeah, it, it is it is what it, you know it is, and and we felt yeah we would rather because the ambition of these Carroll lads is to take on the best is like they don't want this buffer zone to kind of say well look you're up another little step and you know the, there's a glass ceiling that you can never break into that you can never play your Kilkenny's or your your Limericks or your Tips or whatever because you never. Whereas you can't believe, you know, what it actually does for those teams and those players that they're watching for the last seven or eight years and to be able to talk out beside them. Yes, there's a responsibility on us to be able to perform because nobody wants to go and see poorly contested games. But look, the Kikini game that we had in Cullen Park, we'd over three and a half thousand people at the game and like that's incredible. It's just, it's keeping the profile of Hurling way higher than it ever could be when you're playing those teams and even though the results mightn't be helping you know the J per se as I say they like more competitive games it's doing a hell of a lot for the likes of Westmead and for the likes of Leash and the likes of ourselves and like whoever's coming up from Division 2A that's going to be a fiercely contested game because that's what they want they want to play the best teams they want to get tested by the best and and if anything just like I said it's it's going to force us to go back and think harder and deeper and, and to ask even more of the players and when you do that you're forcing them to play at a higher standard. You're forcing the preparation to go up and you're forcing, you know, everything, their lifestyle, everything has to go a bit better. But if it was a case where the players didn't want to do that, well, then I'd be kind of saying, well, look, hold on, we're moving a bit too fast here. But they actually do want it. And um, even though, as I said, it's been a hell of a journey going from Division 2A, 1B, now to Division 1, and possibly nearly too fast for us because we, we've ha- we haven't had that physical development that's possibly needed. Most counties, you know, I'd say that have been in the Christie ring, the, the Joe McDonough, they come back in October, November, and they put a huge emphasis in on the strength and conditioning side of it. And, you know, they try and double up even on split sessions, getting in physical physical training. And it's a huge ask. Like, we're nearly draining the players to try and get them physically fit for the start of January. You know, it's a race against the clock. And before you know it, there's five games played in six weeks. And we didn't reach re- required standard in terms of fitness. And we're still chasing our tail. And that's difficult. Whereas I see the senior inter-county teams at the moment, they're just training away. You know, we're out of the league now, but you, you'll see your Kilkenny's and your Tips and your Wexfords. Like, they're on savage programmes. There's huge belief in what they're doing. And those players are willing to keep their gym programmes going. They're willing to keep their lifestyle going. And they'll keep that going all the way through to, you know, September or as closest to the Ireland club. They'll have a break. You know, they go back to hugely competitive clubs. And it's, it's just it's just ongoing. It's continuing development for those players. Where with Carlo, we are struggling in that sense that we're a county hurler for... What it has it been three November, December, January, February? That's four months. We gave it a hell of an effort. We saw the gap. Um, we'll have to give them time off. They go back. The clubs are hugely competitive in terms of when you look at your 16 senior teams in Tipperary A and another 16 in B, you see your, your 12 teams in Kilkenny, you know, even in Westmeath, um, they have eight, 10 senior teams in Meath, they have 12 senior teams. Like so. Carlow are at a bit of disadvantage in terms of when we let them back and to the clubs that we don't see the development that's needed over the next kind of five or six months and then we're starting from scratch again. So it's a vicious circle. Look, it's it's hard to pin down, but look, yeah, I, I think the players want to be there and uh, the younger players that we introduced, like 
they are seeing the lifestyle and the conditioning and the physique and the power and the hurling and the speed, everything that's needed. If they want to compete, and they do, um, they just need to do so much more. So that's going to come, and that will come with exposure. Last year, there was a there was a semi-final that two clubs in Carlow were playing. They had a lot of the same players. They hadn't designated a weekend for hurling. And obviously, because you're the hurling manager, you would want that game to be played. It appeared that it might not be played. What were your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, look, it's a very difficult situation. Uh, you know, with county boards, when it comes close to... Uh, the end of the, the league structure that they're under pressure with games and they're under pressure with deadlines from Leinster Championship and the whole lot and who can represent and it, it always seems that they leave it a bit later than they should with football there have been so many more clubs in Carlow than, than there is in Hurling um, obviously there's an awful lot more football weekends and the boys were probably peed off that um, on, on one that was designated a Hurling weekend that one of the football matches went to a draw the week before so they had to go into the following weekend to play it and people were asking could it be played midweek or whatever and Look, it was a difficult situation, but playing it the Friday night or the Saturday before the boys played a, a county semi-final, it, there was always going to be an issue with it, and um, and Ballinkillen felt, look, it was too big an issue for them to overcome and didn't uh, refuse to play. And, you know, you could see their point on it because, um, as I said, there's not a, a huge amount of weekends in Carroll for Hurling. And they made, it, they made a stand on it, but, you know, the county board had to see their fixtures list through, and so it was always going to be a face-off. But to be fair to Mullins, and that's the nature of Club Hurling in Carlow, it really is a, such a small band of players uh, and there is huge unity there that something small could divide a county very, very quickly and the Mullins lads jumped in and they offered uh, Ballinkillen uh, the opportunity of um, of the game and they didn't want to go straight into a county final. I have to give full credit and uh, to Mullins for doing that. And How far can Carlow go? When they only have four senior teams, are you saying maybe there's, there's five senior teams now? Is there? Bagnus Town now won the intermediate and they're coming up. So and again they'll have they 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 struggled while they had been there the last year. They went down intermediate two years ago, and um, they're starting to develop a couple of younger players coming through, and um, so that's good to see. And uh, they're going into a kind of competitive uh, four league with Carroll. But yeah, look, that's it is very difficult because when there was only four teams there. They all play each other. They're all guaranteed a place in the semi-final, and it's really only then, in kind of late, you know, September is when the championship gone, and that's where I was kind of saying, you know, we would have been out of the championship since the um, the end of May, start of June, and those three months, what does a Carroll player do? They know they're in the in the semi-final. There's not a not a very competitive games there, and as we saw today, your Tipperary's and your Wexfords still involved in the championship, still developing their power, their fitness, their, their game plan, everything going to a higher level and then they're going back to hugely competitive uh, club championships and the whole time they're being brought to the well, they're, they're, they're being forced to play at a higher standard whereas I just feel that Carlo when they left us, obviously those three months uh, waiting for those semi-finals to come around, it's very hard to kind of be that inter-county player that you need to be and to keep that strength and condition and that fitness. You kind of go back to being a club player and I just felt we're taking two steps forward and maybe three back. And that's something that um, if the GA continue to allow the leagues the way they are, uh, with Carroll competing against the bigger teams and you know whether it's Westmead or ourselves stay in, in this Division 1 proper, that we'll seriously have to look at how we train ourselves over those months so that we're not chasing our tail again next October trying to get fit in, in two months to play teams that are doing this for practically their whole hurling career. There are a couple of players, such as Chris Nolan and Martin Cabinet. Would you feel that those players are as good as anyone in the country? Yeah, again, um, you know, you'd be surprised the culture and, and the county that you're playing with that 
Uh, I've no doubt, you know, and those they're exceptional players. They would make any uh, any county team, and and they would push hard to get in a, in on a, on a fifteen. But it's I am just looking at it is because they're from Carlo, you know. Do they push themselves as much as the Wexford players push themselves at the moment? Do they push themselves as much as the tip player is pushing? Like, there's a huge carrot for these inter-county teams, uh, and at the th- at the moment, there's at least seven teams that think they're in the running for the All Ireland, an All Ireland uh, final, you know. And that in itself is huge motivation to get yourself to the best. There's huge competition in these in in it that, you know, if you come in. If your fitness isn't good, or your form isn't good, or if your body language isn't good, or if you're you're hurling it, you know you can be left off this twin off off a tip panel or Kilkenny panel or Wexford panel very very quickly. Whereas you know we don't have the conveyor belt in Carlo, and possibly we don't have the players that are pushing these players to to compete at a higher standard. And it's only now that we find ourselves competing against the better teams. That you know even Chris and Marty will tell you themselves that. They're finding it difficult. They're finding it difficult to kind of compete against these, you know, these such conditioned athletes and career hurlers, as I call them. That they're in it to, to to win and they're in it to win in All Ireland. And that mindset just drives you to levels that possibly Carlo haven't reached at the moment. And you know, uh, as good as they are, um, yeah, would it be better if they're in in another county, possibly because um, they wouldn't be able to sit in the laurels and they'd have to drive and keep going. But you know, they're. Two very good hurlers you mentioned, but like um, I was watching Division One League uh, from the start here against uh, Clare, and uh, a lot of our backs they really stood up, even though the scores and were getting beaten well in these games. Some of our backs uh, under individual one-to-one battles they've been incredible in terms of I would say uh, on a lot of the games they broke 50-50 or and or more. And when you're an inter-county player. Unfortunately for Carlo, in the present moment, playing Division One, we can't be looking at the scoreboard. We have to look for the small wins. We have to look in terms of where can a player get his own satisfaction, or, or kind of where can he get his confidence to, to build on for the next week. And it has to go down to a personal battle, and it has to come down to the likes of, um, we'd say, Michael Dial up against Lee Chen or whatever. And he has to measure himself in that battle, and he has to be able to go away and kind of say, well, how did I do in that game? And because you know, even though it's a team sport. Your own personal satisfaction, you really have to be very motivated and you have to go and get those small wins in games to keep yourself motivated because if we're looking at the scoreboard for the last uh, six weeks, you know, how, how unmotivated is that? And uh, But that's not the way our players are looking at it. They're looking at the small wins, the small battles. I can definitely go to eight or nine of them uh, over the over the lead to say they definitely held their own and uh, they're making gains and they're improving and uh, you know I couldn't ask for more. Yes, if we're up in this division all the time, we'd have to get more than fifty fifty. We did, we have to, to we need more players to, to break that barrier to put us in with a chance of maybe competing better and getting a result out of these games. But yeah, look overall, it's 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 as I said, it's easy for me to say it's not about the result, known but knowing where Carlo are coming from. You've obviously, as Carlo manager, come up against Wexford a few times in the championship last year and in the league today. What to come up against the Wexford system the way Davy has been playing? What kind of tactical adjustments do do you try and make to your team to counteract it? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, Davy's had this group now for four years, is it? And uh, the work that he's done has been phenomenal in terms of when they got in. They had a talented bunch of players. I know Liam Dunn had been there before them, and they had maybe three or four uh, good years in Leinster with the under twenties, under twenty ones, and they were competing and they were winning. And you know that was good in terms of the, they were competing well at their own age group. 
and winning Leicester Championship and I think it took someone like David to come in and just to give him another perspective on it and drive their levels of commitment and uh, drive their lifestyle everything to a higher and then obviously he brings a game plan with him that's uh, very very difficult to counteract and um, it it requires huge fitness work huge huge energy huge track and huge tackling and you know and for this particular game uh, we knew we won the toss we took the, we took the breeze and we told our half forward line to pull totally back into their half back line or sorry into the half forward line and if he's going to give it to the three half backs but at least force them to work it from there and I think it caused a small bit of trouble for them because um, I'm not sure what they expected us to go back as far as we were but it definitely um, you know they started very well they scored the first five or six points and but you know after the first 15 minutes I thought we came back into it and um, we started you know we got a goal we got uh, two or three points and it was about eight points to one three and we were, we were coming into it and I thought well we were very clinical in what they're doing but the, the ball kept breaking down in the middle half and it kind of encouraged us to keep doing what we we're doing uh, we had maybe five or six balls that were hit short or into the goalie's hand that for the likes of Carlo we can't afford to do and I thought maybe good in at half time and people might say you know what game was I watching but I thought the score their last goal which has got into 36 minutes I don't know what we were we just weren't ready we had three lads in the goal and we should have had five and he just went for it but it was the really only goal opportunity that he, they created with that running game and I thought at half time you know just 13 points we were 1-6 1-7 we'd missed 2 or 3 I actually thought we could be going in near enough to level and I know people watching the game the same that's crazy but that's actually what could have happened if we were so it's a difficult game plan if it's working for you it's going great I knew now with the breeze um, against the breeze Wexford you know they would try and run it then with the breeze you know they were going to take long range points and that's what they've done you know they hit 20 29 points today they scored 113 in the first half they scored 116 in the second half and that's the thing with your Clares and your Wexfords and your Kilkenny's and your tips you know they'll score 113 on you the first, and they'll also score 113 in the second half they just keep it going any score 226 it's it's I won't say easy enough to put it up but yeah it's it's um we had to draw back and they, and force them to kind of hit more pot shots and and in fairness they were very very accurate and possibly had no many wise ahead as well on top of those 29 points but but the only worry I would have for them, they never, they never really overran us for any goal, goal opportunities. Um, even the second goal that they got, Gerard Cody had blocked it. He picked it up and he was going to hand pass it out. And I think the Wexford man just uh, blocked it into the goal. Like so, you couldn't say that the the game plan overran us in terms of creating huge uh, goal chances, which you would think with the plan that they had. And we were down to fourteen players after. 10 minutes in the second half and it just made it a bit easier for Wexford to come at us but look there's no excuses uh, Wexford are a top class team I think last year in the championship they scored 228 against us and um, we would have maybe had a more clinical we would have scored 19 uh, 20 points against them but look that's the nature of your top teams you know they're easily pushing towards 220 225 in every game and it's you know it's it's a case of what can what can the likes of us do in terms of getting our own scores but we just need you know we we have to be more clinical than we have been in this league and that's going to be huge to us going into against Westmead it's an absolutely massive game next week considering you play all the top teams nearly every game is nearly against the top team this year if you get relegated next year you get to play no top team. Yeah, and uh, and I know your point in terms of that. If you're under one B, you know you wouldn't fall so far if you're to go down another division. But yeah, to go back to Division Two A, um, um, but I know the teams down there, uh, Kerry are competing so hard to get up. You've Antrim are comp- competing so far. You've Meath down there. You have, 
you know, uh, you've, you've serious teams looking and they wouldn't fear Carroll or Westmead if one of us came back down. And it, it, would be, it would be a drop for us and, and in terms of where ambitions were and the legacy that these players are trying to leave in terms of leave Carlo in a better place. We, we were in Division 2A. They don't want to go back down there again and they're going to have to put in a massive effort to try and um, put Westmead to the pin or the collar. It's going to be tough. Matt Johanan trying to buy himself a bit of space. A point for Matt Johanan. You obviously managed Wexford for three years from 09, 10 and 11. How would you feel about your time in Wexford? A tough time, yeah. Um, Wexford, they're a very proud county, you know, and they take the hurling very, very seriously and there had been a few issues with it the year before and they weren't happy the way they had been relegated out of Division 1 um, the year before. I suppose when I came in, they were down in that old structure that, that you, you talked about last year, down in 1B. Uh, it was a case where possibly now is our best chance. I think they relegated four teams from Division 1 down uh, down into it. And uh, awfully in ourselves looked to being the two strong, I think. And I remember looking at the league and I was kind of saying, mm, this is going to be tough because they had your top eight teams then in Division 1. Then if ever were to get out, was possibly get out that year before one of your bigger top teams came down. And that's, you know, we started off well. We were flying it. And I remember I got a great response from the players. Um, uh, you know, we were really enjoying our hurling. I think we were scoring goals for fun. I think we might have scored 24 goals in the run up to, the, up to that league. Uh, uh, up to the league final in 2009 and uh, I think we might have hit off for 4.21 beating it by about 13 points you know things were looking very good for us we looked unstoppable just going up to Turles possibly overconfident and and I, if, I, if I had anything back yeah maybe I should have done a bit more with them in terms of getting their heads ready for the, the task everything that was ahead but it looked like a good camp to be in And uh, but it was such a bad game I think it ended up 113 to 13 points we never showed our potential. We couldn't get out of the traps, and that set set us back. and And, and it was hard to get over that. That that, that was a huge setback because we had set our stall out and get to the, back to Division One, in a, in our first year. And when that didn't happen, we kind of had to question what was happening. And then the look of the draw, you know, we were playing. We knew we were playing off in the championship, and people were saying, you know, that the off game, you know, the league didn't really matter to the championship is what counts but I knew the bigger picture Wexford needed to be up in division one to compete yeah. against the better teams and even if we had a good result against Offaly in the championship it still had us come back to division one B and that was in the back of my mind but to be fair to the lads they come out and they hurled Offaly very well again I think we beat them by maybe eight or nine points two, 18 or something to six so you know in between playing extremely well that one league final result just it killed us and uh, Offaly then you know we had to play Dublin and I suppose Dublin were on uh, at the time. Dublin were with Anthony Daly. They were making a run for the National yeah. League, and they were starting to get very strong. And I remember Doc O'Connor saying to me, "Dublin had never bet us in, ch- in in championship, and they never will, you know, whatever." And I was kind of, "Oh Lord, that that's some stat to kind of to try and uh, keep going because I knew they were getting stronger." And I think maybe the year after Dublin actually won the league final, they beat Kilkenny and beat him well. But and uh, I think even in two thousand eleven, Dublin would have got to an Ireland semi and ran. I think it was. Uh, tip very close so that was that was the nature and and in around Galway came into the Leinster Championship things were kind of stacking up and kind of saying Lord whereas before you had Kilkenny and you had you know Wexford and you had 
Dublin and <coughs> Wexford nearly always guaranteed to get to a semi-final. And now here, here we were, you know, not guaranteed with Galway in Dublin on, on the way up and struggling. And we had a hell of a game against Dublin and I think we're beaten. Like I remember actually getting it back to a point. Uh, we seemed to be getting in there and Dublin got the last score to win by two points and we were devastated. And I think it was the first time Dublin might have beaten Wexford in the championship and... You know, it wasn't a great time to be to be manager because there was a lot going against us. And uh, but I suppose the likes of Doc Connors and your Keith and Darren Stamps and these guys wouldn't have lost to them, I'd say, and felt very sore over it. And in our final game, then I remember the championship. We had a home draw, but the draw was I think we could have got Antrim or Leash or Limerick. And next thing the draw came out, we pulled out Limerick as all shit. So, and this is before Limerick made the big turner. I think this is the the end of that year they, they made their stance and kind of got rid of their manager or whatever but they were very competitive and I remember it rained all day I don't know how they actually played the football match before but it was just atrocious conditions and I think it ended up at a two-point win for Limerick uh, and and that was a full year and I kind of saying wow uh, I had to look back at it and kind of say oh, could I have done something different is there something the players could have done something different and you know so that's you know from a very good start and hurling extremely well, I just think we never found ourselves after that Division 2, even though that was the priority. And the following year, it was clear that we were relegated from that Division 1. We actually got the Division 2 final year, the following year and uh, won it. And it was a big, big game for us because I knew we were stepping up. And that was a clear team. A lot of them had won an All-Ireland under 21, I think, uh, the year before. So there's big expectations coming and they were a young team. So we don't melt. We don't melt to beat them, and that put us up, you know. But I suppose the championship then that year was. As looking back on it, we were just. I think we were drawn against Galway in the first game, and I says, you know, how tough could it be? And that was the first game Galway beat us, and then in the qualifiers uh, we got drawn against Tip. Tip had been beaten by Cork by ten points in um, two thousand and ten, and that year Tip then got on a roll and beat and. So obviously we were the first team to meet in the qualifiers and uh, beat. So the draw didn't go neither in two thousand. Oh, sorry, that was uh, two thousand and ten. Yeah. So it's been, it was difficult. Look, it wasn't easy. You know, I wasn't expecting it to be easy, but I think I got great respect for the players. Um, they know I was very genuine, and and the county board were in a difficult situation. Like the funds were very tight. Um, at the moment, there's huge, you know, I know Davy has brought in, you know, huge, there's huge crowds following him, there's huge sponsorship there, there's, you know, there's so much going for Wexford at the moment, but at the time, it was a dark place for, they were trying to get out, you had the older players that had been there, and, um, you know, I had a few of them here, that, you know, the likes of Darren Stamp, and Dermot Ling, and um, Owen Quigley, like, the, these fellas were great players, for, and, it was frustrating for them to see where they were and I suppose I, I have to put my hand up I was part of that and uh, it wasn't enjoyable but I think 2011 when it came along you know we said okay we're up in Division 1 what can we do and we can we re-energise ourselves and stay there and it was big we got a bit of a beating off Galway for the first game but after that we found our feet Kilkenny were just ruling the roost those times they were just incredible I think in the eight year period from 6 to kind of 13 they won maybe 7 All-Irons out, out of 8 which is incredible but uh, we had them in a league game. I think I could see a turning point. We were so competitive. We'd done so well. And uh, it looked like instead of Burke Kenny going around and, and give give us a beating, that we actually turned it around. And uh, I think there maybe four points in it. And we were going to say, we something to build on here. And huge encouraging. And 
even though we lost and then we had Cork coming down to Wexford Park and um, hadn't beaten him in years and next thing we turned Cork over and I said God this is great like I could see the, the, the vibe coming back on Wexford Hurling and, and I could see how passionate they were and then uh, the last game we had to go to Thurles and take on Tipperary who were the All-Ireland champions and, and um, knowing that we had to get a draw minimum because one of the results that went against us was awfully it was a hell of a battle and awfully came out in Tullamore by a pint or two so we knew we couldn't step up in our last couple of games and then when we drew a tip it was like winning another final for us it was that we were around we were hugging each other we we, we, we maintained our division one status and we were looking forward to the championship and um, we continued that form and I think I think we played Antrim there I was just looking at the score um, we done extremely well in terms of I think we hit him for 316 to win a level. So we had maybe three very good games behind us coming in and our next game was Kilkenny. I don't know if people remember that game at Kilkenny, but oh, that was such a game. I haven't seen a crowd in it and, you know, they were just... Wexford people were so passionate, it was unbelievable. When I look back and Rory Jacob was taking um, Terrell for a, a run-around in the first half, we possibly had four one-on-one goal-scoring opportunities in, in that game and we didn't take them and we needed to because Kilkenny were Kilkenny or they were just driving through everybody and uh, when Jim Berry scored a, a goal from a free 20 the roof lifted and I can still I can still hear that and I can imagine that's what it's like now with Davy down there with the crowds that are following but they were just hoping that something would happen uh, we came out in the second half and we went toe-to-toe. Garrett Sinnott was giving JJ Delaney a, a huge game. I think Garrett scored four points in play and we just couldn't get enough ball and Jim was causing trouble and we just couldn't get enough ball into that full forward line. But it just, you know, we, when we didn't take the goal scoring opportunities, we were on the back foot and it ended up, I think, maybe 125 to 1, 115. And, you know, it's still a 10-point beating. But I was kind of saying, yeah, look, we competed so well because I saw what Kilkenny would have done to Wexford going back uh, over the last uh, five or six years before that and what Kilkenny had done to most teams and that we were very competitive and that we actually had four one-on-ones with the goalie and, you know, with the roar that, and the crowd behind him, who knows, maybe we, we wouldn't have won it, but I just think we, we would have been so much closer. And Yeah, and then uh, the draw uh, wasn't kind to us. We had to go down to Limerick. And Don O'Grady had taken over from a very sour kind of Limerick to dressing room that had got rid of kind of Justin McCarthy and Don was back and got the mojo back with Limerick and it was a tough place to go and, you know, it was a hard team to pick up and I could see after that that kind of, the, my, you know, my time is up with the players. It's um, it, it was a tough three years, but I think if, if asked any of them, I gave up what I could. Um, you know, I, I tried to raise the standards as much as I could, but... You know, it just didn't happen for us, and it just it just accumulated with the likes of your Garvey's coming, Dublin improving. You know, and tough, tough. Yeah, it was tough. I do remember it looked that league all the way. It kind of looked like we were going to get relegated, and then we got two results in the last two games. Stayed up, which was big at the time. And then the next year they restructured the league, so we were relegated anyway. Relegated again. I remember that. I know I, I was gone. And again, that was a sore because they were very sore over what happened in uh, that league in 2009 that there wasn't some game played and I think Cork didn't play a game. There was um, 
and because of score difference they were put down or something and they weren't happy but look as I said I was looking back at the teams and uh, you know from the team in 2009 where he had the likes of Richie Kyo and Stephen Nolan and, and Anthony O'Connell uh, you know Paul Carley Gizzy Ling kind of Stephen Dial these you know how much of a turnover then in terms of when in 2011 where we'd like some Matthew Hanlon you know Mal Travers Kieran Kenny Lar Pender Willie Dorn David Redmond you know PG Nolan Harry Kyo Bamville, you know, Gary Sinner, Rory, Colin Farrell, Mitchie, Owen Quigley, like, they're all very good hurlers, you know, and all had huge belief in themselves. And I felt sorry for them that I couldn't do more for them and get that kind of semi final or get to a Leinster final because at the time Wexford brought up being in Leinster finals and it just killed me that I, that we couldn't get them over the line to get anywhere near that and you know I just have to kind of say look it, it wasn't to be but you know I couldn't I couldn't question the players attitude or, or their discipline or, or their, how they prepared themselves because in, in their minds they wanted to compete and it was hugely frustrating for them when Dublin started beating them when Kilkenny were as strong as they were and then God would be thrown into Leinster it was a difficult kind of three or four years but it's great to see them back I see Davy with them now and They've just added so much to the championship and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm delighted. You know, I was delighted to see them win that Leinster senior final because I know how, how hard they've worked and I know how genuine the likes of Matthew Hanlon and uh, Harry Kyo. And of course, you mentioned Stephen Nolan there, who I remember at the time we all thought he was the man to yeah. look after Tommy Walsh. Do you know what he does now? No, no. He, he runs a business helping teaching men how to pick up women. Oh, I remember reading I something. Remember that, yeah. <laughs> Does he still have that website? I assume so. I, I, yeah, I can't know. say I've ventured, but Jesus, <laughs> yeah, I must have a look. I give it to a few lads I know. Yeah, so. you haven't must even have yet, Ben. No, <laughs> I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, that was maybe, funny. Yeah, maybe Benny Kenny we could bring. Oh, there was a few. Yeah, we had a few uh, controversies when I was a, the Wexford manager. All right. Um, but I don't think we could go on air on it. Yeah. <laughs> You would have given some of the Wexford players who are there now probably their debut. Yeah, well, as I said, the, the, the younger lads, there was a good a few more of them of the age of, of Matthew Hanlon and, and Harry Kyo. At the time, you know, Peter Atkinson was around, Pat Kenny was around. These are young lads were thrown in. We gave Andrew Shaw. He, those three young lads, to be fair to him, Andrew came in. Those three lads gave me everything and they were a sign of maybe better players that, that were kind of coming through from, from the other 20s and that you know, Larpendo was another lad that was kind of uh, coming in. David Redmond, I suppose, had been there, thereabouts. Uh, Gary Sinnott was, you know, he wouldn't have been with us in 2009, but, like, what a player, what a hand he had. And the Jakes had been around, a new Rory and, and, and Mick from, from a time at WIT. You know, all all very passionate Wexford players. And, you know, they, I know the tradition that they're growing up. But, you know, I feel sorry for some of the players. When I left, the likes of... Mal Travers and a few of them, they would have kind of got the blame for, you know, that, or I might have got the blame for keeping him on the panel too long, but God, he was such a passionate uh, Wexford man, and he, all he wanted to do was hurl and play. <laughs> and I know it, I, when you're not the manager, it's not your business who's in or out, but, you know, it, it's a case that I appreciate the lads that were there and what they done for Wexford and how much they made me feel at home. And even the county chairman, Ger at the time, he done everything like to make sure that we had a good a good ship on the road and uh, done everything to ensure that the hurlers weren't wanting for anything. And, you know, and ultimately they weren't, but, you know, it's you, you live and die by results. And when you're a manager, yeah, you, you'll take the credit and you'll, and you'll get the, the life in the back. And yeah. so... You obviously have managed and very successfully managed WIT 
to win the few Fitzgibbons. Do you see that big difference between Intercounty and Fitzgibbon level? Yeah, at the time, Fitzgibbon was hugely enjoyable. You know, back then I had a bit more leeway with managers. Uh, I remember phoning the likes of Brian Cody. If we're training on a, on a Tuesday or whatever, and they say, right, we want the players up on a Friday. But whereas now, there's none of that. Those players are under their strict programme. I think even the Wexford players. I've been involved for maybe 10, 12 years with Fitzgibbon teams, and um, there wasn't the pressure on the county players having to get back and do all that. Players were able to let their hair down a bit more. It's a great learning ground. It's a huge time for Fitzgibbon and it got a lot of respect. It, it was well managed, but now they seem to be trying to squeeze it out. It's just, it's it's, it's incredible. To, yeah, look, I have great times with Fitzgibbon, as I said. The first win that WIT had was back in 92 and uh, we had a good few Wexford lads. I, I remember playing with the likes of Niall McDonnell and... Dermot and uh, the likes of Phil Callan and David Neville and Jesus, these were great Wexford lads, great crack and by Jesus would they hurl up a storm them when they got on it but and also they hurl up a storm in the pub too when they got into it but <laughs> they were like they were incredible and, and their passion for hurling was just was just unbelievable and so when we managed to win a Fitzgibbon in ninety two, it broke it broke the kind of ceiling with the university we were first in, it was huge and and I actually came back in when I was thirty one um, to do a, a degree in WIT and uh, I actually captained the next team to win a Fitzgibbon, so I was 31 or 2 actually when I uh, captained it, and I was just so proud. It was huge, and I, I stepped away for a while, and WIT won a few. I think uh, Henry Shefflin was around at that time, Polly Fannin and Tyg uh, were the managers, and I came back in, I think, 2002, and I had a great run. I think we won another five Fitzgibbons with them, which was just incredible. Like So, yeah, it's been hugely successful in terms of WIT and uh, and what we managed to get out of it. and the players that you know it's incredible to think that uh, in 2002 I think JJ Delaney was it was coming into his four no 2003 and he was still a student and he got an all star in his holiday year um the time that I played in 90 uh, you know Tommy Dunn this 2001 but again he would have been WIT player and again holiday year Henry Sheffern obviously would have been a holiday year great for given player so yeah I've seen players develop the game enormously when they came to college they, they, they spent those four years and you look at it now you look at the likes of Mary Macklett and you look at the likes of these teams and you well they're all teacher led you know they're part, you know that's where most hurlers seem to be going they need to have the summer off to train to, to be a top athlete it's just gone so professional you obviously had a Quite a successful playing career. Five Munster titles, two All-Irelands. You said earlier you, you won a Fitzgibbon as a player in 92. Mm. And you won, you would have won those two All-Irelands with your brother Cormac, would that be right? Yeah, Cormac and Connell, actually it was very unusual. I, I, the, the three of us were playing together. Uh, we played together in the 89 All-Ireland final and we played together in the 91 All-Ireland final. And yeah, look, it's, it's rare enough to have three brothers on a team, but to have them on a team that's capable of winning an All-Ireland final, yeah, at the time you don't, take notice of it it's only it's only later on when we finish kind of saying chases yeah look how do we all manage to be on the one team because Connell's five years younger than me and Cormac is five years older than me and you know that's a 10 year gap between Connell and Cormac and you wouldn't think the career when you look back and Cormac was 31 or 30 when he got his first full championship game at Tipperary which is incredible to think in those three four years that he played he won two All-Stars two All-Irelands and Three, two monsters or three monsters like which is whereas I was growing up and I was looking at Tip um, from 1971 uh, to nine till we came out in 1987 like they actually didn't win anything 
and for 10 years Tipperary were beaten in the first round of the championship which was you know incredible to think that we couldn't win one game in 10 years and then we had a group of under 21 players coming through and I suppose I was part of that but you know you go back to where Wexford are coming through like uh, with their three or four good under 21 teams and building on that um, the time I was playing the likes of Nicky English and these boys would have won uh, an All-Ireland minor in 1980 with Tip and uh, my, my group came along in 82 and we would have won an All-Ireland minor we were used to winning and then um, Nicky's team, Nicky English's team, Pat Fox, Bobby Ryan, all these players, they would have um, they would have won three on 21s on the trot. They would have won, uh, I think, 80, 17, 79, 80 and 81. And um, that was, you know, this is a bunch of lads just before me. And then my group came along and we were in three on 21 on our finals. We were in 83 on our final, 84, 85. And we didn't win the t- first two, but we won the second, we won the third one. Babs came along in uh, 80, 87. Here he had, um, I think, was it seven teams? Seven teams that won seven monster titles uh, in eight years, and uh, four of them would have won uh, All Ireland, uh, All Ireland under 21 crowns, which is, you know, what a base to start working with, and it was incredible. So, yeah, look, that, that, that started the tip career, and that's where all these younger players would have started coming through. and Babs had so many there at some times like we didn't know one week you're on the panel and next week you're off I played with a player mid, he was midfield with me in the championship the following week he was off the panel with someone else that was even on the bench wasn't even, and someone else had brought in and, and it was just it, there was so many players there coming in and out uh, I don't know how we, how we kept a handle on it but um, but yeah look I suppose 87 started us off and we won our first month, month of, after eight, 19 years 18 years and it was just incredible I think if there's anything I won, I don't think anything ever surpassed that. It was just, it was just incredible. That it's amazing to think a whole generation of tip people, and unfortunately for us, you know, I told my father I was going back to Ryan's bailing a bit of hay, but I was above the pub for three or four days. Was <laughs> I didn't see any hay, or I don't think any players. And if anything, we got a bit carried away with ourselves, and we had done. You know what we thought was incredible they had me done but really in most in the likes of Babs and Theo and Don these lads had four and five along the middle it's like they weren't happy with it and they started a great rivalry with Galway and unfortunately you know they caught us Galway were under savage pressure they'd, they'd lost their own final against uh, five and 86 and they were under savage pressure they had to talk Finnerty or a few of them more from coming back to Gal from coming back to play the championship and um, I think if we had managed to put Galway away that year I think that tip team would have went on and because uh, Galway were a savage team savage and uh, once and when they got us when they bet us in the semi-final they actually managed to win that final in um, 87 and then won the, and won the alarm final and the following year won the alarm final they beat us in the final again in, in 88 and it was only then we started to realise that God we, we created a monster um, and I look at it they talk about Hills Kitchen with Tipperary but I remember with Galway if you went in past their half back line with Finnerty or Keady or McInerney and then who was facing them was Ollie Kilkenny or Sylvian or Conor Hayes and it cheers you cut through you and um, that was a, and then when you add in the fours like Joe Cooney and Ryan Martin Nocton and you know they had Brendan Ninsky coming and they had Noel Lane and they had PJ Malloy and you know they were savage savage and it's only later on that, they, that we realised yeah they were a savage team and then and then Galway started realising that, Jesus, they should have won a bit more. Like, for a team that they had, they only got two all-arms out of it. And the team that Tip had, with all that talent coming through, got two. And, and if anything, we really underachieved. And I think 
Cormac was obviously the Viking. Yeah, he was the Viking. Yeah, the, he he was introduced actually in the Munster final uh, in '88. Uh, Cork were making a bit of a comeback against us, and uh, next thing Cormac was just brought on the panel. He's one of these players who just came from nowhere. Babs brought him in, and he was only there um, not too long. And he came in and he flicked on a goal, got a goal or something. And next thing they were looking for him to be interviewed and tell you, but sure, he didn't have time to get his te- his teeth in or nothing. <laughs> He had the helmet, and 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 it's only when he took off the helmet, you know, that he oh, see, he's no hair neither, and people are saying, "Who's he?" And a lot of them, the joke going around that he was, uh, it was my father, Conal, Conal and <laughs> father. Yes. But uh, Cormac was there, and and but he done a very good interview. How he done it, talking about his two front teeth, but that was a laugh. But that was that's when he kind of came in, and then and that was in '88, and then once he. He got that combination going with Pat Fox and Nick English in the corner and Cormac was kind of the missing link. I remember Cormac coming on the, in the 88 on Iron Fine and now he's doing the same thing. He got a flick on the ball and the goal he didn't know where it was and it just actually hit his knee and it was just a split second before the ball went down the far end of the field and Nolay scored his goal in a very tight Iron Final and that was the difference. We got the goal, We that would have been 88 and obviously Nolay sneaked in and got it on that side and that was the difference but... When Cormac went in full forward, yeah, just created a new dynamism for for tipping the full forward line. And, uh, yeah, they had such a great partnership over those three years, 89, 1991. Um, you know, it was uh, it was great to watch. And it was a light of forum because uh, I remember him waking me up um, when I was 10, 11, 12, when he was playing under minor or he was playing under 21. And he was on that run. He would have two all 21 medals. And... He was on with your Nicky Englishes and your Pat Fox and your Bobby Ryans and all these good players and it was killing him that he wasn't part of the senior squad when all those lads went forward and when he did finally get the shot we were so happy. I remember the time that he came in I was supposed to, I was allowed off the training session but um, I said Jesus I'm going I'm going to see this because I needed to get up and kind of see Cormac in, in at the first training session he told me he's been called in and I couldn't you know and he and Babs even asked what are you doing here looking after he says you know looking after the bigger brother but no, I was just happy to be there and see him. And and then Connell, the younger brother, five, he was uh, five years younger. Um, it's amazing. He was he was up at the Ireland semi-final uh, in, in 88. I'd say he didn't know his name. And four weeks later, he was in under 26. Just like, in, as quick as that. He he was one of the under-21s that were brought into into training um, just to jizz the training up and actually himself and a few more actually started beating a lot of the lads that had been there and Baz was left with no option but to bring him in onto the, the group and next thing in under the 26 and that was 88 and then by the following year 89 he turned into a top class wing back and uh, you know they say he had all the hurling he, he had huge hurling and uh, at the time I was kind of in and out between midfield and cornerback centre back and so it was trying to. I was just trying to hold on to my position, and Cormac had cemented his place. And if there was ever a worry coming into the eighty-nine or final, was whether I was going to play or not. Thankfully, I got the nod, and that's cut the, the three of us on. So it was at the time we didn't we took no, no notice of it. Like, and I don't think there's even a photograph of the trees above Crow Park after it or whatever. Now a few quick fire questions. Who was the best player you ever played with? Pat Fox was exceptional and he was he had everything, he had toughness, he had a hand, he'd he'd ambition. Nicky was just so skillful and he sidestep, his speed, touch, mm, it was a uh, play with some, you know, Pat himself and Cashel was such an an animal of a hurler. He had such a good hand. 
you know he was one of the players I looked up to when I was playing and uh, would, wouldn't have won anything and he would have come in in 80, 87 with us and it was great to see him get that finally get that medal because he put his life on hold for Tipperary and his body in, in the firing line so many cork holders that were good you know but that played with me um, can I say the, the two best holders that played with were Cormac and Connell my <laughs> <laughs> two holders yeah 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 that is so I won't insult anyone but yeah look they're all all good horrors, but I suppose English and Fox would have, uh, you know, Bobby Ryan was such a great man. Aidan Ryan was a player that, you know, always seemed to come on and do, but and uh, had enormous gains for us, huge engine, and there's just so much to admire about every player that puts on the jersey, but yeah, it's hard to name one. Who was the best player you ever coached? Yeah, well, I coached a lot, yeah. Like, I had a very raw Waterford team in, when I started into the coaching in 2000. In 2000, when um, Gerald McCarthy asked me in, and uh, the likes of you, Ken McGrath was just exceptional. You know, Dan Shannon, even though he wasn't in his pomp then, I could see it. John Milan was only coming into his prime, but at the time, Ken McGrath, you could play him anywhere. Full forward, centre forward, centre back, anywhere. Peter Queeley was an animal of a hurler for, you know, for, uh, for Waterford. Fergal Hartley was majestical in the air. They were, they were great lads, and I caught the day of Waterford. And Paul Flynn was... was Possibly one of the most skillful players I would have ever seen. He could put the ball anywhere or could do anything with it. And, um, you know, people will tell you, yeah, if he worked a bit harder, you know, he could have been um, out of this world. But, yeah, I suppose he was exceptional. He was possibly, probably one of the most gifted players I would have saw, yeah. Obviously, we're a Wexford podcast. So who's the best Wexford player you've ever coached? Yeah, well, I have to have uh, Gizzy Ling there. Dermot McLean, he was just... His ability to get around the field, his ability to catch ball, his ability, you know, when he kind of kind of retired in 2000 and was it 10, after 10, he was a huge loss to us uh, all the way through 2011 when we went up to division. Obviously, Keith Rossiter was down in WIT for a good number of years and Keith could play anywhere. Keith was cornerback, centre-back, he was, he had all the, all the attributes that, that were needed to be an inter-county hurler and he was, he was great, but... Now I say we're taking up, taking up enough of your time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million. Thanks very much. For Thank you very much, Colin. Colin. Appreciate that. Yeah, no penny pies. Best of luck next week. Yeah, it is a crunch game for us. Thanks again to Colin for speaking to us so soon after the match, uh, the Wexford Carlo match on Sunday. We'd like to wish Colin and the Carlo team the best of luck in the relegation final against Westmead at the weekend and in the Joe McDonough Cup coming during the summer. Unfortunately, Shane Tompkins couldn't make it. He was starting his mosaic class tonight, which he's been very excited about. He has been looking forward to that mosaic class for quite a while. We'll be back next week with Diamond Ling Part 2. But in the meantime, like, share, retweet, tell your friends. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Most importantly, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking pain. Hello, Wexford!